You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Shan Vance. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Darius, Annie, Pratik and Sujit to discuss how to scale the best data teams. So before we get into it, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. Darius, do you want to start things off? Yes, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. I'm a Darius, Romanian, moved over to Denmark uh, quite a few years ago. Um, for the past couple of years, I've been working in a banking circle as a data engineer, as an individual contributor, and recently moved over to lead a team of DevOps engineers in our engineering operations department. Great. Annie? Yes, um, I'm also delighted to be in this call. Um, I am Ani. I am the head of the advanced analytics team within the corporate finance organization in Novo Nordisk, the headquarters. And on a private note, I was born and raised in Armenia, but lived over a decade in Brazil and a couple more countries uh, within Europe. Great. Pratik? Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, I'm honored and uh, glad to be part of this platform. I'm Pratik Saxeta, based out in Denmark uh, from 10 years, from last 10 years. I'm still struggling to speak uh, Danish correctly uh, with this Accenture from last seven years. I have a master's in advanced analytics uh, from Liverpool University. Uh, my expertise goes around modernization of traditional BIPW environment to more modern hybrid advanced analytics platform on cloud and setting up data streams. Okay, and Thank finally, you. Sujit. Yes, hi everyone. My name is Sujit, uh, and I'm working with Novo Nordisk uh, Pharmaceuticals uh, as a clinical data engineering lead. Uh, by education, I have a biotechnology graduation and a master's in clinical research. But uh, since 2008, I fell in love with data, and since then, I'm working uh, on a different role as a data standard expert and more recently, data engineering. So, most recently, what we are trying to do is generate insights out of a huge level of historical clinical data we have uh, in our firm, uh, and that's the challenge. So when I'm not working with the data, I'm probably enjoying the uh, swim in the deep ocean in Copenhagen in the winter combined with the sauna. So that's about me. Perfect. So now that we have established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you all have questions or statements around how to scale the best data teams. And as usual, I'll work around the room with each of these questions and allow you to elaborate. And each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. OK, Sujit, you firstly wanted to discuss the data journey, data maturity, how to get value from data assets. And then from that, what is it that we need to keep in mind when scaling up a data team? Do you want to elaborate a little bit for us? Exactly. Uh, and that's the crucial point you have touched upon uh, as well that, you know, as an organization, irrespective of where you are, is it a small scale or you are just a startup or some of the big organization, uh, maybe in a different sector? What is really important to reflect and ask yourself is that where are we in our data journey? And that's an important question because at some point of time, we start feeling that, okay, in terms of data journey, what is the level of maturity we have attained? Are we able to just do some of the day-to-day -day dashboards uh, on our data? Or 
are we trying to do something more advanced, uh, filling those data and creating some of the machine learning and AI algorithm? That's very important. But it's not only about your own team, it's about how which business you are serving and what is the questions you are answering. And is the business to whom or the stakeholders to whom you are serving, what is the level of their data li literacy? And that's the key thing. And once we know, that's where we will start, whether we need to have the scaling of a data team important aspect on our agenda or not. Yeah, right. So Pratik, what do you think of this? I think that's a very uh, truly said, uh, Sujith. I fully agree with you. I think it it, it it really depends on the maturity level, right? Where you, when you start uh, data streams or setting up the data streams in, a, in an organization, there are a lot more factors I think we need to uh, Bring in uh, uh, together with uh, the teams and uh, and the and the level of uh, data. You know what uh, we are talking here. Like if it is uh, specific to public data or is it some non-public data, and so those kind of aspects also we can bring together. You know to uh, to understand the, the the maturity level of uh, of an organizations and of course the local uh, laws and the and the legislation. So these are some. You know, aspects which we need to, uh, uh, of course, remember. Yeah. Darius, what's your opinion? I think it's really interesting with the data journey, to be honest. And I think there's also two different perspectives. That first of all is the data engineers that need to be mature in their technology stack and how they process kind of have the skills in the team. But then it doesn't really help if you produce data and then nobody actually uses it at the end of the day. And how are they using it? And it's also the data producer that's very interesting. Like one of the challenges I find quite often in different organizations that I go is um, challenges with ownership, who owns the data, when there's something wrong, where do we actually fix it? Like, is it with the data engineers that are supposed to fix it? Is it with the consumers at the end of the stream that are responsible for doing the small fixes? But then you just get misalignment or should it actually go to the people that are producing it? Uh, but there, I haven't actually seen like a really good solution. There's always a lot of challenges and it's a journey, but I haven't actually seen like companies that are close to the end or are very far away uh, on that journey. So I'm also curious to hear a little bit from your experiences from uh, Novo, uh, for example. Yeah, Ami, what about you? Yeah, I would say that um, to understand the maturity, of course, you need to map it as well. And I think that um, a lot of companies and um, do a kind of a mapping exercise where they just go and bottom up, just ask people, you know, what, what do they think about this and run a survey or something like this. And it's very important as well to calibrate it with data people because, you know, with this data people that they work with, the business people, sometimes the perception is quite different. You know, what's the maturity level in the eyes of the business people and what's the maturity level in, in the eyes of the data people? So I think it's very important also to kind of marry the two things um, and try to understand the real maturity um, in terms of that. And one thing that uh, I always wonder is, um, you know, the classical, let's say the model where we say that, you know, the, there is a maturity journey that goes from the descriptive to the predictive and etc. How much do you agree with that? Because I, I think on the paper, it sounds kind of very attractive. 
but at work I see, you know, it's not really a stepwise, stepwise, you know, approach to that where we say that, you know, we need to approach descriptive and then jump to the predictive. I think that they're quite independent. Oftentimes it can um, actually work hand in hand and together rather than saying, you know, you need to actually start with this and then jump to more predictive. So I don't know what do you think about that one? Did you, do you have something you'd like to add? Yeah, uh, that's a really interesting aspect you are bringing, Anne. Uh, and uh, when you are talking about uh, uh, this entire scheme, what it's essential is to the data team, they, I, have what I have experienced and seen is they go through these three phases. First, it's a reactive phase. Like whenever the request is coming, they are trying to serve a customer, and then still there is no impact because there are two key aspects where the calibration should happen. One, what is the impact you are doing and what is the change in cultural in organization you are creating about the data? And when the team is so reactive, that request is coming, they are responding, still no impact, moral is down and they're coming down. But then what is important for us as a leaders uh, and forming those team is celebrating the smaller success of those team and diverting the prioritization, meaning that what is the real value to the business, bringing those agenda points front and then taking down out, which is not creating those values. That means you are creating a proactive team. So suddenly now you are empowering the data teams from the reactive to the proactive, where you start to handle some of the cases which is business is asking, but at the same time, you are changing the culture toward the data literacy within the organization. And that's where uh, it is leveraged to the influential data team. So this is the three phases, reactive, proactive to the influence, and this is the direction we need to go. And the key to that is that you will have always a combination of some new people starting from the graduate or some of the new versus the experienced one. But as these data roles, especially data science and engineering, are not from the long time, it's just very recently, three, four, five years is in market. So uh, some of the old analysts or the uh, business analysts right now have changed the role and become those, uh, taken those hats off. So we need to acknowledge that and have to admit this. I think there's two very different, very interesting aspects, like especially the one that you just mentioned now with getting the right people and making sure that we have the right skills. And also how a lot of the data engineering happening these days is with new technologies or new frameworks that just came up. But I think the one you mentioned right before is super interesting, like how to take a team from being reactive into proactive. Because I think the whole aspect of prioritizing against the priorities of the company that comes from higher up, that is super important. But in the same time, there's also the aspect that there are other like smaller teams or smaller requests that they also have their own agenda and they would like to get help to implement the things that they want. And I would also be very curious to hear how you guys are uh, uh, tackling that uh, issue to go from yeah, reactive into proactive, but still provide something to the people that are not the highest priority. Because what we're trying to do is to make some sort of uh, self-service platform, and we are not yet there. It still takes a lot of work, because one thing is to make it self-service for data engineers, but then there's 
there's a limited amount of data engineers, but then there's also business users. There's maybe other developers that come from like .NET world or Java. They don't really think in uh, data terms. Um, so I'm curious, do you, have you seen any implementations like that in your companies? How does that look like? Or what is your approach from going from reactive to proactive? Pratik, do you have a response to that? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the approach is, uh, uh, as uh, you have explained there, is that it's, it's of course, uh, we need to be more proactive, right? And and of course, data teams have to be more proactive. But if uh, if you ask me, uh, I've visited uh, several customers in the last uh, couple of years, and what I have seen, the key challenges, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, data teams, which they are struggling currently with, uh, the one is, uh, you know, finding a common language. Uh, means, uh, uh, yeah, language is an instrument, right, which, uh, which you can, which, brings people together. When people speak one language, they become one, right? But in most companies, uh, solving uh, problems using data and making business decisions have always fallen under separate functions. This is a normal you know, uh, departments in, a, in an organization. So data expertise is heavily centralized on the data teams, while decisions about business are left to the managers and uh, executives. As a result, there is a, not just a communication gap, but it is a wide chasm, right? They don't understand each other. Uh, so it's very important to bring the data teams towards the business or both the world together, right? In one, and they should not work in a silos. They have to bring together in one platform so that the data team will understand the business pain point and then start working on it using the data sets or using whatever skills they have. So it's, it's, it's important that we bring both the world together on one platform. And I think breaking down that uh, you know data language barrier is so important these days. Uh, and it, it's key in my opinion, in terms of um, yeah uh, key challenges. What about you, Annie, what do you think? Yeah, well, actually, it's a very good point that uh, that you all raised, uh, and I can share my experience that I established this team, my team, data science team, within the business function, just for these purposes that you're raising, you know, to overcome this challenge of having this common language. And I can see from my experience that at least it has, it's, uh, um, it's been worthwhile. Um, and... Um, but I also think it's quite important to have this middleman, uh, as you call it, a data translator. And I think in this case, it's in, in this case, it's a little bit uh, my expertise. So since my background is also in economics and I've been working in different business functions as well, I ultimately just help them just to connect the two teams. Uh, but I can clearly see that the value of being part of the business function where um, it also is beneficial both ways. So it's not only for the data people to get an understanding of what they are trying to solve and get into this subject matter expertise into their use cases, but also I can also see business people just get some knowledge about how we are doing the models, how we are validating it so far away from their day-to-day -day kind of uh, challenges. Um, but of course, I would say the challenge, you know, overall, it's, it's not an easy process. Um, so we need to but of course, making bringing the two teams closer definitely helps. Okay, great. So following on from that, we'll come to you again, Annie. Um, and you'd like to know what would be the best organizational anchor for scaling data teams and the pros and cons when considering things like change management and AI adoption. Uh, could you explain some more for us? Yes, of course. 
So um, if we just go one level of abstraction, let's say a little bit higher, no matter which company and no matter which industry we're working, overall, I would say that in terms of AI and data science in general, we have uh, multiple models of kind of implementation in an organization where we can say that one model is like a where you have a, a central data office, very common in, let's say, banking uh, in industry. And then in this case, uh, you can say that, you know, you, you create a whole different function on its own um, called the data office of data science, where you kind of centralize all of the operations under it. But then there is another model where we have the function under the business team, I think uh, that would be a little bit decentralized, of course, but most of most of the times it would be like um, under um, an important function within the business and reporting to also uh, senior stakeholders within the business function. And of course, the final model that I can bring, it's more the the IT side of it, where it's a little bit independent from the business, but still it's a different anchoring where you want to emphasize the more uh, Kind of centralized uh, into one function, into IT function, but um, it'd be kind of a center of excellence for that. Uh, and I would like to hear your opinion, your experience around that. What do you think? Because of course there are pros and cons in each of those. Uh, and what would be a good model from from your perspective, especially when we think about establishing a new team or just scaling uh, data science teams? Yeah, Sujit, what do you think? Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, point, and you are bringing here. Um, uh, and again, it it comes to where are you on your data journey uh, is an important thing uh, when answering to that question uh, which you are raising, because in the centralized model, uh, it will be for a newer when you are just embarking towards uh, utilizing your data. It could be an a good way to start a centralized team with uh, a CM, some, some roles like a data engineer, data scientist uh, in that. Um, uh, but as you rightly said, there could be some flaws that then it becomes too away from the business uh, and too, too much stuck and focused on some of the technical pipelines uh, and solving data quality issue, whereas that particular team would bring much more value talking to stakeholders bringing the data set or data knowledge uh, within the organization up. Uh, uh, and that's where if you, your maturity level is high, if it is a medium to high organization, uh, it, it should be decentralized one where the business functions have their own data science or data teams uh, within that uh, and where uh, they could get uh, value for their business pretty fast. Uh, uh, that is else uh, what I have experienced working on the hybrid model. So some part you centralize and some way you decentralize, uh, but have the orchestration of between those two essentially uh, would really work well. That's my point of view. Um, and this hybrid model is super interesting because at least in my mind or my perspective, we can't have only the decentralized and only the centralized because the centralized is very much focused on the IT side. Like they know how to do IT, right? They know how to put the technology or like all the frameworks and the infrastructure in place. Well, the decentralized approach that actually sits with business, they're very much focused on business needs. Like they don't want to figure out on which virtual machines this data process should run. I just want it to run so I can focus on whatever these business guys uh, are needing uh, next to me. 
one uh, really interesting book on this topic that I enjoy and uh, I enjoyed and I tried to bring it to work uh, or kind of the main thoughts in it is the team topologies. And there there's the concept of enabler teams and also platform teams that you have a platform team that's more uh, centralized in one place that makes a self-service platform. But then you have an enabler team that actually sits together with the clients and they're focused on letting the clients use the platform or figure out if there's actually something missing inside the platform. And I think this fits very well with the hybrid model that you mentioned and also let the teams be focused on IT with IT and the decentralized a lot more on the business side of things. Yes. And what do you think, Pratik? Yeah, I think it also depends on the on the size of uh, the organization also, right? How big uh, you are, um, you know, and how are, are you really that big that you can uh, create a center of excellence in an organization which is more centralized and so on? Or you are, let's say, if you are a startup or you are running a small uh, startup organization, then does it make sense to invest that much to to you know to stand alone a coe kind of thing so i think it depends on on organization sometime uh, but in my opinion if we keep uh, you know the data teams more closer to the business uh, and not to a, as a centralized system but it's more uh, you know scattered around and more close to the business and 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 then they you know whenever they need um, some uh, analytics whenever they need some um, data analysis they can go without reaching out to their coe or central of uh, or their central department in my opinion they should run by themselves and then get the data what they are looking for uh, but of course uh, when i say this it also um, you know it also comes to the you know your data maturity should also be on that level right it's not that you you are you are doing the same thing what your other other department of the organization is doing. So, of course, COE or some sort of central department is needed to pull the threads, right, to know what is happening in um, in all departments, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Annie, did you have something else you'd like to add then? Yeah, I think my experience has been um, more, of course, I, I understand the value of being closer to the business team. And I think it's also very important not only just to be part of the business, but I think it's also important to be just also reporting to senior stakeholders because ultimately you show that this is important and the data science and advanced analytics is important for that area, that organization. But oftentimes, of course, that the, the drawback is that, of course, those senior people do not have enough time for you, right? So on a day-to-day -day basis as well, that to help you succeed with your cases and to help you kind of diffuse the knowledge and, and, and support the AI adoption in general. So this is also uh, why I'm, I'm raising this, because it's interesting how to get this trade-off where it's like not only where you are based but also what level of the organization you are in in terms of uh, you know seniority um yeah Suja, anything you'd like to add yeah that's that's quite interesting uh, on the knowledge part um, as well especially in the when you are scaling up uh, the team uh, when there are uh, what, what's also a challenge is like uh, we have a huge knowledge but that, that just lives in the people's uh, mind uh, or some of the outdated wiki pages. Uh, and that's where the centralization of the knowledge base is key essential for the new hire to come and uh, uh, just start running and following those. So the model which has worked is 
combining a more senior person with a junior person uh, there, where the junior person is taking some of the notes and then adding into the centralized knowledge base uh, uh, as well, so that uh, it's it's uh, it's 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 quite uh, scalable and sustainable uh, in terms of that. Yeah. Darius, anything else? Oof, knowledge base, <laughs> that is such a big topic. <laughs> um, where we are as a company right now is that basically we're going from a startup slash scale up into kind of becoming a little bit bigger than like, let's say initially we would have one person that knows how to do a lot of things. Now we're actually trying to grow into having teams that do that one task. And the knowledge base is a really, really big topic because on one one level you need to deliver things, but on the same time you also need to build up the knowledge base. So it's an investment for the future. And I think it's also a matter of the culture that we have in the company and in the teams and have put priority on building up that knowledge base and show that there's actually value out of it whenever we have colleagues, um, new colleagues starting or that somebody's on holiday and then something breaks and you need to fix it. And that person that's on holiday is the one that installed it many years ago. So <laughs> uh, not many others that are familiar with it. Um, so I think that's a really, really interesting topic. Um, also from a DevOps uh, perspective that I'm quite focused on uh, these days. And there's many, many different solutions uh, for it. Uh, of course, the classical ITIL with the knowledge base and kind of the strong frameworks around it. Uh, but then there's also the um, maybe a little bit more modern uh, DevOps uh, ways of like documenting in individual um, areas, like individual repos that are then put together in a self-service uh, portal of some sort that people can actually search through. I know which one I prefer, but I think that's also because I have a very DevOps mindset and very, very code-oriented uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it'll also be interesting to see how you're approaching it at your different companies. Yeah. Um, Pratik, what do you think then before we move on? No, I think I agree. Um, I mean, th th both the standards are necessary for an organization to exist and run, right? Uh, of course, uh, we need, um, you know, balance between both the world uh, to 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 run away and i, I fully agree with uh, Darius and also with uh, any uh, that they, 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 there is a balance required and there is a uh, you know uh, futuristic approach is also needed that which way we should uh, uh, moving ahead in terms of the maturity of the organization yeah okay great so we'll move on to our next question then and it's from Darius so you've asked, how do we start a new team from scratch to enable scalability? So do you want to elaborate, give some more context for us? Yes, I think it's um, a little bit of a dream scenario for a team lead. I think that you have an idea, it gets approved, like you sold it to all the people and they're very happy, like, yes, we want to do that. And then you want to build a product and then you start looking for the people. Now, what do you do in the first three months? How do you actually set yourself up for success? Not just yourself, but the team. Like, What kind of roles do you look for? Like your first, your second, your third hire? What kind of assignments would you like them to have in the first month, the second month? Because there's a lot of pressure now from external stakeholders that, okay, you, you promised us something, so we would like to see some results. But then do you jump straight into deliveries or do you take a step back and actually create some principles? Um, that's kind of the, the thinking that I have around this question, because I think the first months can really 
are very crucial in setting up a team for success on the long run. Yeah, very interesting. So what do you think then, Annie? Yeah, well, uh, I can share my own experience when I was establishing my team of data science, then it was within the business function, just to remind once again, then um, these business people are also very impatient, so they want to success <laughs> very fast. Obviously, I couldn't go with the with the um, kind of hiring junior people early on because it was time of was of essence. But also, just um, I think in initial stages, then you need really more senior people to make sure that you're setting it up for success rather than failure. So for me, uh, but I also had a budget restriction, so it was it wasn't like you know I could hire anybody um, as well. So in this case, I decided to do more of a not to compromise on the quality of the data scientists that I would hire, but rather shift it uh, across like uh, some people in Denmark and some other people in India, where I would just find this uh, enough budget for both, but still wouldn't compromise. So the team that I hired, all of them were uh, senior data scientists, and uh, I could really see the, the value coming out of it because on top of just doing the the, the day-to-day activities and running the code and knowing how to, to work uh, with the systems they were also quite good just bringing in new ideas and new line of experimentation so we could just keep on exploring and exploring and that that was for me a key to success and i think that maybe after a year or something then while while you are scaling and expanding then you can think about having more junior people where you already kind of Establish the value. You have a way of working. You kind of have some kind of a framework um, uh, for your area and so on. Yeah, great. And Pratik, what about you? Yeah, I think I agree with uh, what uh, you mentioned, Annie. Uh, actually, there are three uh, capabilities which I think uh, an uh, organization required to run uh, data stream. Uh, is one is the data strategy, right? You must have some data strategy, why you are pulling the data, why you need data. Uh, there must be some clear roadmap that this is what I want to achieve uh, with the data. There and the second is the data governance. There must be, uh, you know, uh, we should uh, again uh, ensure that the laws and the, you know, uh, th those things are in place that we should. Uh, we should uh, we should have a GDPR uh, uh, things in place and others like it's not like only collecting the data and without understanding what what the data and what the KPIs in the data are and uh, and the last is the data analytics in my opinion which is also a quite important capability that what are your skills why do you have the right skills in place do we have the right people in the team uh, to to do the actual analytics right when it uh, when it is needed so these are the three main capabilities which i think is required to run a data driven organization or to set up a, a data team in an organization yeah great and what's your opinion then sujit yeah, uh, so in in my experience uh, showing the early those proof of concept results to the management, uh, bringing the business people, telling the story for the data team uh, really helps. Uh, and how do, we, how do we achieve it is like, rather than having initially very specialized data team into very specific roles and defining, because the world we are in uh, is, it's, it's not like uh, the perfection is killer. Uh, when we are working with the data and data teams. Uh, uh, and it's a killer of uh, a very good part. We could do a good or very good job, but when we are uh, a lot of team members who are very specialists try to achieve a perfection, and that's where the mess uh, happens. And what 
what did I try experimenting it, bringing a generalist who understand a little bit more of everything and who could give us those initial uh, success stories uh, on the proof of concept so that we have a buy-in from the more senior people. And once we have a buy-in and budget for it, then you start scaling up uh, and put those, uh, as uh, Pratik was mentioning, right, uh, uh, a long-term data strategy. You have a governance model around it and the analytics goal uh, as well. Uh, and working together with your IT infrastructure team to build such a platform or whatever things uh, uh, in the scale of one to two years uh, your company would like to achieve uh, uh, to make a business impact. Uh, that's quite essential as well. So that's just an, another take on that. Yeah, so Darius, what do you think? It sounds like we have a plan for the first year that we know what we're doing. <laughs> Get some generous, uh, dividing the budget maybe across two different countries. Then we've kind of had some proof of concepts. We show that, yes, this works, it's worth it. Then the guys have made some frameworks that, okay, this is how we deliver, this is how we operate on a daily basis, this is how we plan, this is how we make the roadmap for the next three months. But then we're also starting to look for more junior people that we can put next to the seniors that we already have. And here I'm also interested to hear your approaches because once we have set up all of these, like now it's been one year, we already have the framework. So there's maybe not as much leeway in the, like after one year in how you deliver, kind of what you work on. It might be that things are kind of fed on a specific path. And at least I feel that juniors also, like myself, when I was a junior a few years ago, and also the ones that I've been working with, they like to explore, they like to try out things, they like to, like, they need to be motivated, they need to learn. How do you keep a balance at that point between, like, trying out projects compared to, like, the bigger deliveries that need to be done? And how do you combine the juniors with the seniors? Like, how do you match them up? What do you think, Annie? Oh, okay. So uh, that's a, that's a very good point. That's a very interesting point, uh, especially finding the balance between the junior people and um, senior people. One thing I can mention as well that um, when you kind of decide to hire junior people, it's also very important to consider that maybe within the organization, actually, you can find a lot of people that want to do the shift, at least from when I was in the hiring process, I think, and it took me months and months, I could realize that not only I have this, you know, uh, a talent pool coming from outside, let's say, uh, fresh from university or from other companies, but also inside the company, there were so many people just, just wanted to make the shift, which is it's like you get these people with a lot of expertise in different fields, but that's same time they are like still um, uh, novices in, in data science right and then you can get the different kind of competencies just in one go where within data science they are new but you also bring like you know they know their organization and they bring other type of uh, um, expertise with them that's one thing that you could consider not only be just limited into yes yeah, you know, one dimensional data science people and uh, balancing. I think that, uh, you know, um, I can always motivate data science people with business knowledge and I motivate business people with data insight. It's very interesting this, but I can do that. So, for example, for me, it's been really a key learning that how a data scientist just given the opportunity of presenting the results and being, you know, in public, speaking about machine learning, advanced analytics, how motivational it can be. It's impressive when you see it just really in action. So I think it's, again, coming back with this, you know, 
being in the middle of the business, it's just very uh, uh, motivational for, for both teams. Um, but that's that's my take on it. Yeah, and Sujit, what about you? Yeah, it, it, it's 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 uh, interesting experience. Uh, what I have tried uh, and experimented is uh, what I find is when uh, people are new, they are really keen to learn anything and everything. And some of our specialized and experienced people, uh, they don't want to do some of the monotonous jobs um, or repetitive tasks. Uh, and that's where you combine these together, where you where the more junior person had opportunity to learn from the senior. Uh, uh, and then the good part is that knowledge database uh, previously we parked it gets updated because now this person who is new would like to learn and document as well. So you get the documentation part done from him uh, where he's learning from the senior team uh, and the senior person get the job done uh, where uh, he could utilize that. And at the end of the day, as a lead, you get your business transformation done, your knowledge base updated, and you have uh, a new person getting a huge experience being put on the team, uh, and your other uh, senior person who is also motivated because some of the tedious tasks uh, which he finds repetitive, he could specialize his um, attention solving a very crucial uh, issues at the same time uh, keeping uh, a junior person engaged uh, on other tasks here. So that's the approach I have experimented and so far uh, I have got some success on that uh, uh, on my previous project. So maybe something to try out. Yeah. And any more thoughts from you Pratik? Yeah, I think it's a it's it's really a right to say the right blend of uh, you know people are needed. A senior and junior both are needed, and of course uh, when it comes to the responsibility and the accountability, then uh, the senior roles and the senior uh, people should take a lead there. And when it comes to exploring new areas, uh, trying new things, and uh, you know taking shortcuts or taking long cuts, I mean. Yeah, everything is uh, is something which uh, juniors or the you know the 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 fresh uh, people should uh, do in my opinion. So it's it's a right blend of both. Uh, the world is needed uh, in an organization and in, in especially in the data teams. Okay, great. So finally, last but not least, Pratik, you'd like to discuss the challenges involved. So including how to keep infrastructure aligned with the growth of the team. Do you want to elaborate a little? Yeah, I think. Uh, that that's a quite important aspect uh, which I wanted to bring to the table because uh, I think uh, most of the organization where you know IT and business are are really two different part of uh, you know uh, or, or two different world in itself. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, but they are they are actually uh, two different ways, and of course they have their own ambitions and their own roadmaps, and and these two cross these two departments cross paths and then diverge like uh, rail tracks right and just like these two two tracks they always run in parallel throughout so they have to run in parallel because if they will not run in parallel then you know the things will not work so the ultimate goal of both of them here is to create product for customer satisfactions the business don't have the means to understand clearly the cost drivers of the IT services they are using and therefore find it difficult to influence their infrastructure expenditure. As a result, some organizations struggle to manage demand for IT infrastructure. And, and this is the most common. I mean, this is not something that one or two organizations, I'm talking about uh, uh, you know, wide range of organizations which are struggling with this. But what, what's new here is that the leading organization these days are adopting a commercial style demand and service management uh, that has 
you know, mainly two characteristics. One, uh, the, the standard service catalog, which is clearly a priced offering that can be consumed on price time quantity basis, means whatever you use, you pay for it. And the second characteristic, which actually Annie also mentioned uh, before, that we have to establish a role right in the IT to interact with the business partner to more commercial ways so that they understand what what is the commercial impact when they when they you know run anything or when they spin anything new in the cloud or wherever basically including a role from product manager who can define standard offering and architects who can help developers combine the right mixture and this is i think this helps a lot in in, in saving a cost and also uh, bringing the right balance of both infrastructure and uh, keeping the demand in place. Uh, I mean, it, this is quite important in my uh, opinion, and I don't know how you guys see it uh, in, in your organization or, or maybe with your past experience. This topic is as close to the heart as it gets, <laughs> as I think platforms and scalability is something that I've been looking at for the past three years. Um, and I think from our perspective, we are a little bit fortunate in a way because we are pure clouds, so we are not limited as much as on-premises could would be. But in the same time, with pure cloud, then the cost at the end of the month is also a lot higher when you don't keep your infrastructure in place. From a data perspective, uh, one approach that we have tried uh, somewhat successfully, it's still a journey as everything is, is that um, there we have prepared a uh, data warehouse that we call the data platform, but built in the cloud. And then one frequent request from our business stakeholders was that they would like a small delivery here, or they would like a new view on something. They would just want a different perspective on the same data set. And then what we try to prepare for them is basically a little corner on the platform where they could create things themselves, but then of course, doing it with good software development practices, just simplified a little bit for them. So it's uh, not that difficult. It's a little bit of a journey because yeah, it's like you need to find the middle ground between um, both IT and then also business. Uh, like they can't become software developers and start writing and git commits and all of this. Uh, but in the same time, we also need to have some principles of how it moves across the environments. And something similar, we're also trying to apply on the infrastructure now with uh, the DevOps team that we want to prepare uh, self-service modules, our own recipe for how we do infrastructure that basically other teams can just consume. And we make sure that is done according to company policies with security involved, with networking, so they can just consume it without actually having to think about, okay, is this done properly? We're taking on that responsibility. They're just consuming it and then make sure that they put things together the right way. Yeah, great. Annie? Yeah, so uh, it's a little bit of a tough question, to be honest, because uh, I feel like I am at least personally biased because I'm on the side of the organization with us where we do more use cases rather than infrastructure. So I would be genuinely like biased to answer this question, but I could also, what I hear a lot from the market as well, that uh, infrastructure in general is a little bit undervalued and underrated. So I could feel it as well from your voice. <laughs> but, um, but I would say, as well from my experience is that um, oftentimes we also invest too much time in this 
And then by the time we have the right infrastructure, just no use case is valid anymore. So I, I could also see, uh, at least in my experience, that we you know spend we spend years in infrastructure while we weren't sure you know what's the use case ahead of that. So this is why I think that probably there is some baseline that needs to be there that I fully fully understand uh, that we can't have redundancies. We need to can't spend too much time acquiring the data and so on. But I also. Um, I also think that it needs to go hand in hand with the use cases. And every time you need to reinvest into infrastructure or bring to a common place or something or integrate or anything of that kind, then you need to rethink about the use cases again. Because otherwise, by the time you're ready, just it will be will become a data swamp or something, you know. So I could I think that you need to rethink and not just you know with existing use cases, but really, really to go and to do a bottom-up approach of you know creating all of the new user stories and trying to see what you're what you're trying to do and for what. So that's my advice, a little bit high level. Yeah, and what about you, Sujit? What, would yes, you, what advice would you give? Yeah, it's, it's also quite interesting uh, question on the infrastructure and business. And I also come from the business part uh, as well. And what I have experienced and seen is a lot of the infrastructure uh, things are essential. Uh, but what is much, much more essential is the mindset. Uh, within the team uh, to approach a solution. When I say that, uh, because you could use the combination and create an architect using uh, uh, so much open source there. And if within an organization, you already have some space like a cloud infrastructure, uh, S3 bucket on Amazon, uh, you, you, you need to think of re using the existing infrastructure in such a way that you put data, but data in terms of a product thinking. So, not data as a product, but data products, depending on the situation uh, where you are uh, and how do you address that. So that's the part we are trying to go into the cultural shift within the organization uh, and adapting this product thinking uh, uh, into our day-to-day -day life. Uh, and that shift, uh, we are trying, we are seeing some results, but we are quite uh, early in this uh, to tell you know that have you gained any have have we gained anything uh, in this uh, journey but uh, i think it might be a time for another podcast uh, once we are mature in that <laughs> sounds <laughs> good definitely <laughs> so does anyone else have anything else that they'd like to add then to that no perfect okay great so we'll leave it there for today then uh, and i just want to take this opportunity to thank each of you all so much annie darius sujit and pratik for providing some really great insights into today's topic so hopefully everyone can take something away from this discussion, including our listeners, of course. Um, so thank you all for listening. And if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at shan.vance at evolution-nordics.com. I hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. See you next time.